There's a new vaccine that prevents TB recurrence. Also, a new lung recruitment technique for patients with ARDS. The COP Foundation released a statement on stem cell therapy, and sleep duration is an independent risk factor for myocardial infarction. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is November 18th, 2019, and I'm Dr. Michael Zagoda for the Spiro Podcast. The New England Journal of Medicine published an earlier analysis of the trial called the M and 2 AS01E vaccine. From here on out, I'll call it the TB vaccine. Uh, this is a vaccine against mycobacterium uh, in patients already infected. See, this vaccine showed promise in that it protects about 54% against pulmonary disease. The results reported in the New England Journal was a follow-up report on the three-year final analysis of the efficacy of this vaccine, its safety, and outcome of the TB vaccine trial. 3,575 patients from African TB centers with positive interferon gamma release assay results were randomized into a one-to-one -one ratio to receive two doses of the TB vaccine or a placebo. Participants were followed for three years. Suspicious cases of pulmonary TB were evaluated by sputum PCR and culture. Humoral and cell-mediated immune responses were also evaluated on about 300 of those participants. 13 out of 1,626 TB vaccine groups progressed on to pulmonary TB, while double that, 26 out of 1,663 patients progressed on to pulmonary TB in the placebo group. Immunoassays to test for immune responsiveness at three years also showed durable immunity. So these findings were statistically significant. The vaccine was easily tolerated with adverse events equal to both of the two groups. The vaccine is not yet readily available, and I'm sure more studies will be done before we have access to it. I am curious to see if we will consider vaccinating patients with a positive PPD without pulmonary disease once this vaccine becomes available. We'll see. Spiral Podcast is written for healthcare specialists that practice pulmonary, critical care, and or sleep medicine. We cover a broad range of subjects from the newest recommendations for your clinic depending diagnostic and therapeutic options that may be available for your patients or some that are even on the horizon. From time to time, we'll interview thought leaders in our specialty with our two-minute elevator pitch and are going to be sharing how certain long-term clinical trials are going on in the United States and abroad. So, subscribe now to the Spiral Podcast so you can help your patients while being the most informed. The response to PEEP and acute respiratory distress syndrome depends on recruitability, something we've been working on for years and years. An article published in the Blue Journal proposed a bedside approach to estimate the recruitability that accounted for the presence of complete airway closure. The trial evaluated if a single breath method for measuring recruited volume also tested whether it differentiates patients with different responses to PEEP. When I first started training, we tried to use minimum PEEP, and then as things progressed, we started increasing our PEEP until you got to certain FiO2 levels, and then you had to achieve a certain PEEP when you got to that FiO2 level. So this is a reasonable study to start looking at at what point are we doing harm to lungs by using PEEP. The study didn't actually ask that question, but it did ask is, are lungs recruitable? So patients with ARDS were then ventilated at 15 and then 5 centimeters of water or PEEP. Multiple pressure volume curves are compared to a single breath technique. The technique abruptly releases the PEEP from 15 down to 5, 
and measures the increase in expired volume. The difference between this expired volume and the volume predicted by compliance at low PEEP estimates the recruited volume by PEEP. They then took the recruited volume and divided it by the effective pressure change given by the compliance of the recruited lung. Sounds confusing. Basically, it is the ratio of the compliance at high PEEP divided by the compliance at low PEEP. This gave them what they termed the recruitment to inflation ratio. So, they did this on 45 patients. Recruited volume measured by the experimental and the reference methods were strongly correlated. The recruitment to inflation ratio of 0.5 correlated with both oxygenation at low PEEP and the oxygen response at high PEEP. High recruiters had better oxygenation, whereas low recruiters experienced lower systolic arterial pressure, which we've all seen in the ICU as we try to recruit lungs, we see blood pressure drop. With this data, they report that their single breath method quantifies recruited volume. The recruitment to inflation ratio might help to characterize lung recruitability at the bedside. I think this method has some promise, but I think that this is where the practice of critical care medicine will have to be required. I plan to try this at the bedside to see if the technique can be reproduced by our ventilators or by a respiratory therapist. Nothing definitive or mind-blowing here, but this could be another tool we use to see if a patient's lungs are even recruitable. I highly doubt this technique will have any impact on mortality, ICU length of stay, or even outcomes, but it will give us some information to know how our patient's lungs are behaving and if the things that we're doing for our patients are even helping. Give it a try. Hey, Dr. Munden, haven't seen you in a while. How's it going? Oh, very well. Thanks. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to see you again. I was interested in, um, you know, I did this lung cancer screening on a patient and it was, uh, he didn't have any issues with lung cancer, but we, we found this other, I guess people would call an incidentaloma. Um, what are you guys doing here about whenever you see something like that? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. We are actually very interested in this in our American College of Radiology, and we're publishing papers uh, in regards to incidentaloma findings, particularly on lung cancer screening studies. So metastinal lymph nodes is something that gives people a lot of concern, and we've published that, you know, if it's 15 millimeter or smaller, you can basically kind of ignore it. Uh, people worry about when they see cysts in the lungs and they see interstitial stuff in the lungs or they see something in the kidney or in the thyroid. So that's a big area of interest to us and we're trying to address algorithms that will kind of guide everyone on the, how to follow up those particular findings. Wow, and um, are these algorithms already in your EMR or there's just something like a phone call or how does that play out? Yeah, right now they're pretty much coming out in the radiology report. What we would hope to do is to get them put into uh, the EMRs, best practices, patterns and stuff to do. If you find this, then you do this. And that way it's, uh, you know, patients aren't lost to follow up, aren't lost to tracking and stuff. So we're, we're trying to get the, the guidelines and algorithms set first and then we'll import them into the EMRs. What, what is, I've heard a lot about this new AI technology that is apparently able to kind of screen CAT scans and block or in bulk. What, what are your thoughts about that technology? Oh, it's, it, I mean, it's huge. It's going, it, it's not going to replace me. There's a lot of concern radiologists are going to be replaced. And I used to say, yeah, they can replace pilots too, but we're not going to get on that airplane because uh, <laughs> we can fly planes without uh, pilots. Um, but, but can it will, you land it without a pilot? Yeah, yeah, you can, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm really interested in is it's going to definitely change the way I practice and live. And what 
probably the first thing that will come out is just tell me the study's negative and you take a significant amount of work off my off my desk. But then the other thing is you find and finding like a nodule or something on a CT, give me a risk factor. Is this more likely to be a cancer or is this more likely to be benign? And then we can dramatically change the cost of that follow-up. If this AI says this looks like a cancer, then I'm going to follow it in three months. If it says, eh, I'm gonna wait a year, right? So that's where I think the AI will be huge in our world. Interesting. Well, I'm gonna have to sit down and have lunch with you a little later, but uh, this is my floor, I gotta go. It's great seeing you. We'll Thanks. talk to you later. Appreciate it. Catch up later. later. Chronic sleep insufficiency and chronic sleep excess are increasingly recognized as potential modifiable risk factors for cardiovascular disease. In a prospective cohort study of nearly 500,000 adults between the age of 49 and 69 and free of cardiovascular disease at baseline, self-reported habitual short sleep duration of less than six hours per day was associated with a 20% increase in the relative risk of myocardial infarction over seven years. Hmm. Habitual long sleepers of more than nine hours per night had a 34% increase in risk. So, as with almost everything else in life, there's a balance. Too little sleep or too much sleep can kill. I wonder if that holds true for sleepwalkers. Hmm. I just finished listening to a very interesting podcast done by Wondery called Bad Batch. It tells the story of a shady company that hurt a significant number of patients through contaminated stem cells. The podcast actually caught my attention after a patient came to me to ask about a stem cell clinic he had heard in Tennessee and Apparently, the stem cell clinic treats all forms of lung disease with autologous stem cells. After three years of failed treatments, he finally came back to me and I had to send him on for lung transplantation. Stem cells are not yet fully understood, but there is some evidence that these cells can participate in repairing an injury. The observation that autologous stem cells derived from an individual's own body might possess the ability to repair injured tissues has given hope that these cells just might be used to repair the lungs. However, what is not yet understood is exactly how to direct these cells to repair an organ as complex as the lung. Several clinics both within and outside the United States have been created and promised to use autologous stem cells, such as those from an individual's fat tissue. Uh, to treat a variety of incurable diseases, including COPD. These clinics make claims of effectiveness and even cure, but none provide direct scientific proof. In addition to the FDA, has further not approved the therapy to treat COPD. The COPD Foundation came out with a position, quote, autologous stem cell therapy is not currently recommended for the treatment of COPD. The COPD Foundation does not recommend the use of autologous stem cell therapy in the treatment of COPD or other lung disease until there is more rigorous scientific and medical proof of its effectiveness. Instead, the COPD Foundation encourages individuals to participate in clinical trials that test the development and potential benefit of this technique, end quote. This is the part of the show where I get to share something that I like and then something that I don't like. First something I like. I actually like interviewing for jobs. Now, before you say, what? You see, there's more that you get from a job interview than just the torture of having to go through the process. You see, it's actually an opportunity to learn new things. Never left a job interview without learning a tremendous amount. I learned about different business strategies, company cultures, industry challenges, approaches to overcome those challenges, and even more. 
I see a new way of doing things. I also learn a lot about myself as I'm forced to articulate why I want to work somewhere, or why even do I, and what I would bring to the table. All in all, interviews are a great learning experience. It's also a great way to network. This is more so true for informational interviews, but it can apply to formal job interviews as well. If you've made it to an in-person interview, it means that you and the employer have enough in common to consider a relationship with one another. Even if it turns out you aren't a great match, you might be just the right guy or gal for the hiring manager's friend. It's also a challenge. I love a good challenge. Job interviews certainly fit the bill. You have to keep your composure, strategically articulate what you're a good fit for, be likable, answer brain teasers, ask the right questions, and so much more. And some, you have an hour or less to just prove just how awesome you are. Furthermore, it's a reality check. And then there are the times when you realize you're not as awesome as you thought. While humbling experiences aren't comfortable, they're usually a good thing. If you interview and realize your qualifications aren't what they need to be, you're now in a place to move in the right direction for what you hope to do. See, also practice makes perfect. Acing an interview is not easy. Neither are most things in life, but like most things, practice will help you improve. Rather than following your instincts and repressing your interview mistakes, try reflecting on them and identifying concrete ways to improve. Use that past experience to grow and perform better in the future. And finally, for me personally, it helped me to know what I want. We often leave interviews thinking one of two things. Ooh, I really hope I get it, or wow, that is not the job for me. Regardless of the end result, either reaction can tell you a great deal about what you want. Take time directly after the interview to ask yourself what you liked, and maybe even what you didn't like about the company. Its employees, the position itself, the culture, the neighborhood, the town, any of those things. The answers will help you move forward in your job search and in your career. Now, something I don't like. I really don't like cooling blankets. Well, of course, they're appropriate for post-myocardial infarction patients or even a stroke patient. But I'm talking about rounding in the morning, walking in a room, and watching my septic patient shivering like a leaf in the wind because when her temperature reached 103, the nurse decided to pack her armpits and groin with ice packs and put the patient on a cooling blanket. That is our ICU version of waterboarding. It got so bad that I had to put a temporary injunction on cooling blankets in the ICU until a full protocol was written, vetted, and released to prevent this from happening. Fevers are good. Fevers help the oxygen disassociation curve. They slow the growth of bacteria and cause their alien proteins to be malformed and not to function as well. Fevers increase cardiac output, help the white blood cells demarginate to go and attack the enemy. Fevers aid in oxygen delivery while they also lob oxygen radicals at the evil invaders like hand grenades. If a patient has a fever and they're not suffering, there's no reason to treat a fever that is not over 105.8. We use 105. Or if you live in any other part of the world that's not the United States or England, 40 degrees Celsius for anyone listening. So, let the body have all the weapons it needs to fight off infection, fevers being one of those weapons. There is no literature to support treating fevers in the ICU that does not exceed 105.8. If you think I'm wrong, email me. Tell me why. As I close today's episode, I'm going to read I Long to be King by Zhao Zhengong. This was originally published in the Pectoriloquy section of Chest in October 2016. I came across this as I was throwing out some old journals. This, what was interesting about this is that this poem actually led to an internet firestorm in China as this poem was written from the voice 
of a lung cancer. I long to be king. I am ground glass opacity, GGO, in the lung. A vague figure shrouded in mystery and strangeness. Like looking at the moon through clouds. Like seeing beautiful flowers in the fog. I long to be king. With my fellows swimming in every vessel, my people crawling your organs and body, holding the rights for life or death, I tremble with excitement. When young, you called me atypical adenomatous hyperplasia. Then when I had matured, you declared me adenocarcinoma in situ. When fully developed, your fearful denomination, invasive adenocarcinoma. You forgot my strenuous journey to become the king. From tiny to strong. From humble to arrogant. None cared when I was young, but all fear me when full grown. I've been nourished on the delicious mist and haze that sweetly warmed my heart, always loving when you were heavy drunk and smoking, creating me a cozy home. When I was less than eight millimeters, I was so fragile, waiting for a chance to grow up. Now, more than eight millimeters, I am more mature and considered worthy of your notice. My continuous growth gives me a chance to be king. As I break through layers of obstacles spanning the mountains and waters, my fellows marched every corner and occupy every region. My quest to become king was full of obstacles. I was cut until almost dead in childhood, burned once I'd matured, and poisoned when older. Happiness after sorrow, rainbow after rain, I faced surgery, radiotherapy, and chemotherapy, but continued to chase my dream. Some would have given up, but I will be the king. I long to be king with fellows and subordinates. I long to be king to have people's fear and respect. I long to be king to dominate my domain. I long to be king to direct your faith. From Mars Hill Media, this is the Spyro Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked what you heard, it would be great if you'd give us a five-star rating as it helps us move up the search results. Oh, and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Zagoda, and as usual, I'll leave you with an oldie but a goodie. I believe specifically written for pulmonologists. See you next week. This is that ice-cold Michelle fight for that white gold. This one for them hood girls, them good girls, straight masterpieces. Styling, violent, living it up in the city. Chuck's on with St. Laurent, gotta kiss myself, I'm so pretty. I'm too hot, call the police and the fireman, I'm too hot. Make a dragon wanna retire, man, I'm too hot. Say my name, you know who I am, I'm too hot. And my band bought that money, break it down. Girls hit you, hallelujah. Girls hit you, hallelujah. Girls hit you, hallelujah.